Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, everybody. Thanks again, worship team. You guys are marvelous. Thank you very much. That's just great. All right. Um, just a quick thing on the, uh, that little deal we did before dinner on uh, the nature of a gospel and what those are like. For those of you who are there, first of all, thanks for coming out. That was quite the crowd. Awesome. Um, but uh, if any of you had, I talked to a couple people afterwards who had some questions that were very important questions, like really important to get clarified. And so I thought, oh boy, if there's more out there, please, by all means, come. Um, one, one, somebody asked me, so you still think like the gospel stories are true, right? And I was like, yes, yes, I do. Yes. Shoot. Did I not say that? Cause I do. <laughs> they really are. They actually happened. So anyway, so if you have more questions, come talk to me. Or if you just want to keep talking about that, that'd be cool. Um, I love the Bible and I love, um, the fact that God is so generous that he would give it to us. I think that that is he is good. Um, so, yeah, it'll change our lives, huh? Well, so far, we've been in Luke. We're going to stick in Luke the rest of the weekend. So, we've been through uh, Luke's kickoff event for Jesus' ministry, right? Where Jesus hears from his dad in the sky, I love you, you're mine, and I am really, really proud of you. And it starts from there. Uh, Jesus' affirmation from his father is the backdrop to his entire ministry. And you see, over the course of the rest of Jesus' ministry, Jesus keeps referring back to that moment. Keeps calling him Father. Keeps, keeps remembering that moment where, where his, his heavenly Father affirmed him and said, I'm proud of you. And no matter what happens from here, I, I'm crazy about you. Um, and then, um, and that's true for every single one of us. Fact. And then Luke took us to Jesus' prayer life, Right? which is a direct outflow of understanding God's love for us is wanting to spend time with Him in conversation. When you realize, when you really get a sense of how much God likes you, then it makes a lot more sense to spend time with Him. When you realize He loves you, realize what kind of a father He is, it makes it a lot easier to talk to Him, a lot easier to bring anything you want to, his, to the conversation table. It's just marvelous. It's just the kind of God He is. He wants to hear about everything. Well, tonight's text is a decider text. I like that. You know, we talked the first night how this weekend Jesus might ask you to do some things, might ask you to make some decisions. Um, tonight's one of those nights. Jesus is going to ask you to make some decisions. So let's pray to start off with, and then we'll jump right into the text, okay? Jesus, thank you again for a chance to sit at the feet of uh, your spirit through the words that Luke has recorded for us. I thank you for the um the the uh your servant luke who was who did such a good job of crafting this gospel um for our sake and i thank you so much more for the fact that your spirit infuses the entire process from luke's writing of it to the the uh the maintenance of these documents to the fact that we read them in the pages now you are speaking you, these are these are living words because you are alive living and active so thank you god that you are speaking to us tonight. And I just pray, Jesus, that you would come through clear tonight. That you, by your spirit, you would take center stage. And that all our attention would be drawn to you and what you ask of us. And that this would really be a defining night for people. So Lord, we, we pray this 
knowing that you listen to us as you get ready to walk through one of the episodes that Luke has recorded for us by the inspiration of your spirit. So we pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Start with one, right, Justin? Where's my man? Yes, one. Ta-da! There we are. Oh, just so you know, Jessica made me, reminded me on the phone. She said, on the far left for us, the old guy is not Jesus. That's the baby, right? Just so we're clear. Jesus never had any kids. Just making sure. All right. Well, our text tonight comes from Luke 18. See, folks can turn there. Y'all can turn there. I was, I was walking around the room that I'm, the, 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 the sort of, the house, really, it's a house that I'm staying in with, with Brandon and some others. I was, I was walking around the house and uh, in, in this little um, magazine rack, you know, they have those like next to couches, there are a bunch of remotes and a toy cap gun, like a Colt revolver. And I was like, I'm here. <laughs> All right. So starting in verse, uh, verse 18, we'll go 18 through 30. It says this, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony and honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Or, and give to the poor. Not give it. Give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad. Because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. This is our text tonight. Luke doesn't waste any time diving into this story. There's no real, like, setup or anything. He just, bang, a suit and ruler, asked Jesus. Think of it this way. This is the stage that, that, that Luke kind of just injects us into. Imagine that a congressman rolls up in a Lexus and asks a homeless pastor what more he should do to get what he's looking for out of life. When you put yourself in the drama, you realize how strange this would have been. The dichotomy that Luke is setting up for us. He just sort of splashes it in our face right off the bat. This powerful man swoops into Jesus' world and asks him, of all people, where he can find what he longs for. Because that's what this ruler means by eternal life. 
Eternal life is a Jewish code word for the deepest longings of our hearts. Eternal life to a first century Jew was more than simply living forever. Okay, it wasn't this, this sort of I, I, I never die thing. It certainly was that, but it was way more than that. It included way more than that. This mic sounds a little echoey. Is there anything we do about that? I kind of hear my voice like eight times after I say a word. word, 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 word. Makes me sing better. Uh, all right. Do, just kidding. I won't do that. So eternal life to a first century Jew meant living in right relationship with everything forever. Eternal life was the kind of life where God's shalom, His perfectly rounded peace was present. Meaning that we were at peace with God, at peace with each other, and at peace with even the created world. The term eternal life was a place where the creator of life, the source of life, God himself, was king forever. Like we talked about this morning, where the living God rules over every cell in the universe, all that is seen and unseen in his perfect, powerful, wise, and self-giving kingship. And it's permanent. It's a kingdom that would never end. Eternal life is the state of being to the first century Jew where even Rome answers to the just and compassionate God. And that was a big deal to people who were stuck under Rome's boot. We don't live like that here. Not a lot of us know what it's like to be the persecuted majority in a country. If you lived in South Africa 20 years ago, you would know exactly what that was like. The persecuted majority. These few have the power and they're squashing us. In, Ro- in, 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 in uh, first century Palestine, it was like that. You couldn't mess with them because they had the spears, they had the garrison, the training and everything, but man, you wanted to. Eternal life included the end of that kind of tension, that kind of strife that was on your block, that was in your neighborhood. You walked past them on your way to the market and grumbled as you walked by using code words to talk about someday. The Lamb of God is going to come. The Romans were like, Lamb of God, whatever. But every Jew was like, oh yeah, someday. Mm. Eternal life is one of those kind of code words. It's a life where everything is in order, everything's put back together. No more broken relationships, no more broken families, no more death, no more environmental catastrophes. Probably no more taxes. Although, who knows? I don't know. In the kingdom, we might need some organization like that. I don't know. Maybe no more uh, begrudging taxes. Certainly no more wars. What this ruler is looking for, what he comes to this dusty rabbi asking for, is life as it was always meant to be at its utter best forever. Isn't that what we all long for? Every single person on your campus, every single person in this room, that's what you want. You want everything to be okay. I just wish everything would be okay. I wish everything would be right. I wish everything was perfect. The fact that we even have a sense that there's something wrong with certain things in the world and a desire to do something about it is evidence that God is at work in this world. Even people who are opposed to the message of Jesus are aware that something's missing. That... Um, Come on, what's his name? John Mayer. Something's Missing, that song. I mean, the dude, he's being honest. Something's missing. 
It's all over the place. It's all over the news. This week in Sudan, there was a referendum. All week, the South has for a long time been persecuted by the North. And for a lot of different reasons. Some are religious, some are cultural, many, most are political and economical. And they've just had this referendum that's supposed to, it's been a five-year peace process. Thousands have died. You guys have heard about Darfur, like the big sort of social justice flag people wave? That's, it's all tied up in this. This process has taken the lives of thousands and thousands of Sudanese images of God. It's time for it to end. On a more personal note, just last week I heard that a man who I deeply respected, he's a pastor near Seattle, he is, he is currently trying to decide whether or not he will abandon his wife of 11 years and their three kids and one foster kid. He sat in these kind of seats, saying the same kind of things to Jesus that we say. And 12 years later, he's trying to make this decision. Do I even want to be married to this woman anymore? Do I care about these kids? Oh, man. When I look at my own life and my own shortcomings, my own weaknesses and outright sins, I also long to be a different kind of person than I am. I long for the day when every friendship that I see is self-giving and not demanding. I long for the day when romance, every romance that I see is one that honors God and that doesn't take sexual or emotional advantage of the other people involved. We hunger for this stuff. It's hardwired in us to be discontent with, the, with, the, with when things are out of joint. I'm tired of shooting rampages in Tucson which is the reason why the flags here are at half-mast. Hmm. You guys, this, these are the deep resonances in our hearts because we're human beings, because we're images of God. We were made to feel like He does about things in this world. Every single person on your campus feels this. Every single person is asking the question this, you know, this rich ruler asked, how do I get the life that I'm hoping for? How do I get there? How do I have access to that? Every single one of you here, Jesus, that's what I want. Well, how do we get to that life? The eternal kind of life where you are king forever and everything does what it's supposed to do and everything is awesome and perfect and harmonious and beautiful. That's what we long for. And it's not a Disney fairy tale. This is not Santa Claus for adults. This is the deep hope of the world given to us by a creator God who made the world to function the way it functions. The fact that we have this hope is not empty. We're supposed to feel this way. That's eternal life. And that's what Luke says this ruler was chasing when he caught up to Jesus. And it's what we all chase. That's what every single person on your campus is chasing. So let's take a closer look at this ruler that Luke highlights, huh? The first thing we find out about him What's the first thing Luke tells us about him? What? Say it again. He's rich. That comes later. That's all right. That's fine. It's true. It's accurate. He's a ruler, right? A certain ruler. So he's powerful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes, he has. What else? He's young. Interesting enough, Luke doesn't tell us that. That's okay. That's okay. It's in the other stories. Matthew and Mark tell us that. But for some reason, Luke leaves that one out. It's not as important to his agenda. But 
We can know that because he was. So let's talk about his power, huh? He's powerful. He can probably get anything he wants. He's probably well known. It's interesting that Luke doesn't tell us specifically who this is. Just a certain ruler. He leaves him ambiguous. He leaves him um, every, like an every man, an every ruler man. So anybody can stick themselves in his position. He probably has an entourage. There are probably other people following with him. Servants, attendants, his secretary, assistants, etc. They've probably joined him on his journey and they are probably listening to the answer that Jesus has got coming. They're listening to the question asked. But he's not powerful like a mob boss is powerful, right? He's pious. He's religious. He knows the law. He's lived his whole life trying to keep it. He knows the difference between good and evil people. And he seeks out input, genuine help from people he believes are good, i.e. Jesus. So he's a pious man and a powerful one. And we also find out later he's rich. Absolutely, he's in there. Verse 23 tells us he was a man of great wealth. And it probably showed. He's probably wearing rings. Probably smells really good. Probably a lot better than Jesus. Especially than the fishermen following him along who still have kind of fish gunk under their nails. I mean, you all have been fishing, right? You've cleaned fish before. Well, if you have, it just, it's, it's, a, it's an aroma. And it's hard to wash off. Sticks around a little while, especially if it gets on your clothes. And these men don't have a lot of clothes, so they're probably wearing their stuff. But he probably smells better because he can afford men's perfume, which was a luxury in the ancient world. B.O. was kind of the norm. The contrast between Jesus and this man is probably pretty stark. There's an artist who's done a painting that I like, um, and he puts the story, he puts this episode sort of in the courtyard of the ruler's house which it, the, the text never tells us it's there, but it just sort of further increases the obvious differences between Jesus and the rich and powerful man. Here's uh, the artist's rendition, rendition of it. Jesus is at the door, kind of back in the shadows, and there's the, the rich ruler. So he's a powerful, spiritually committed to pursuing the truth, and he's rich. Now here's a crazy thought. This kind of sounds like us. I mean, think about it. You don't think you're powerful? You feel like you don't have influence in the world? How many of you are more likely to get a steady-paying job than 97% of the rest of the world because you're getting an education? How many of you guys and gals are going to be on the top of the pile having influence over all those who didn't get an education in this world? Do you know how many people in other countries don't get to go to university? Absolutely. Most of them don't get to go. In Nairobi, the University of Nairobi has about 7,000 students. It's one of about six universities in the country. 7,000 students. So one out of every, who knows how many who apply, get in. And you, and you guys get to go to college. That's power. You are the powerful on this planet. Guaranteed. You're religious too, right? You're at least interested. You're here. Spiritually hungry? Absolutely. Interested in some kind of religious shtick? You're here. Absolutely. You count. And you're rich. I know it may not feel that way when you look around the room sometimes because we compare ourselves to each other too much. 
But again, when you compare yourself to the rest of the planet, you guys, you are crazy rich. I mean, think of how many of you have more than one pair of shoes. None of you are actually worried about whether you're going to get to eat tomorrow morning. None of you are actually worried that if it ends up snowing tonight, you will be cold outside. In the cold, like sleeping. When you all get families, you are not going to worry that your child might not eat tomorrow morning. And that their belly gets more and more and more distended because you can't provide for them. You are wealthy. You are rich. You are rich beyond most people's wildest dreams. Most of the world doesn't have what we have. So Luke, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, is telling a story about a character just like us. Every single one of us in this room could be in this story. And from the very first words out of his mouth, we realize that this guy who has it all, when he looks in the mirror, is singing, something's missing. Something's missing. So the guy who has everything comes to Jesus and says, something is missing in my life. I know what I want. I want that eternal life. I want that kingdom and access where God is king of every cell on the, in the universe. I want that. But nothing I'm doing is getting me there. So what do I do? And Jesus answers him. And first, he answers him by telling him he's God without even the guy realizing it. Jesus is clever. This play that Jesus does is just, ah, sneaky Jesus. <laughs> Jesus asks him, why do you call me good? Isn't God the only one who's good? The answer is yes. Jesus says, whoa, buddy, are you calling me God? I am. <laughs> Clever Jesus. The ruler speaks better than he knows. After that, Jesus answers the ruler's question. With the answer, and the way he answers, he answers him with what everyone expects him to say. Jesus gives the good rabbi answer to the rich ruler's question. And if you think about it, it's probably, we don't know this for sure, because Luke doesn't tell us much more about this rich ruler, but it's probably the answer this ruler has received from other rabbis. You've you got to think, if, if this guy who has everything has been trying his whole life to, to live according to the way that God says to live, and he still feels like something's missing, that Jesus is not the first guy he's asked. You've got to think with the power differential, with the economic disparity between these two, that Jesus was not at the top of his list. That Jesus is not the first guy he's ever asked about what to do. Jesus is probably kind of like the dregs of his list. of I've asked, I've asked the most popular rabbis. I've asked the, the most educated rabbis. I've asked this question. And he says so. Jesus gives them the answer. Right? Gives him, gives him the, the list of things he's supposed to obey. And the guy says, Jesus, I've heard it before. I've been trying to do that. Since I was little, I've tried that way. And then Jesus tells him the one thing he has not heard yet. There's one thing missing. And you can just see the ruler and all his entourage and all the watching crowd lean in. What is it going to be? What is the one thing that this ruler lacks after all these years that he's been hunting this stuff down? What is the one thing that Jesus says he hasn't heard yet? 
Jesus says this. First, the first thing you have got to do is unhook yourself from all the things that are going to keep you from trusting me fully. You have got to come unglued from everything that keeps you from trusting me. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. Jesus, just by looking at him, knows exactly what barrier stands between him, this young ruler, and the life he's hungry for. You are clinging to your stuff. You are clinging to your money. You have got to let it go. Then, when all you've got left is me, grab a hold and you'll be fine. Sell everything you have. Give to the poor. Then, come follow me. You realize this is the invitation that Jesus gave the original 12. Come follow me. Come follow me. Come follow me. He says that to this wealthy out the yin-yang guy. Come follow me. Isn't it interesting that Jesus tells him, he says to him, one thing you lack, but then he tells him to do two things. One thing you lack. But he gives him two commands, two, two instructions. And it's because they're both the same thing, you guys. They're the same thing. They're the two sides of the same coin. For this man and for every single one of us, following Jesus means leaving our old life. You cannot sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I want to be like you. All that I have, I'm willing to lose. You can't sing that and keep living the way you always planned to live. You can't stay the same. You have to assume that when you say, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go, that that can't come with conditions. I wonder what this man is thinking. This is the moment that the, that the painter depicts. Jesus has just let him know what it's going to take. Probably looked around at his entourage. I mean, this one, he's looking down at his rings. And those rings are probably also symbols of his power. They're, they've, got, they've got stamps on them that he punches into the, into the soft wax as he sends messages around the ancient world. So they're not just these beautiful, ornate, expensive things. They're also symbols of his power, that he has the right to stamp these orders. So they're, they're, very in, they're, they're symbolic of much more than just they cost a lot to get on his fingers. Think of all the people around him who, if he gave up every bit of every penny of his life, these people, this whole crowd behind him, would no longer be his You'd probably have to ask them for money to get by. Sounds like a missionary. And he looks at Jesus. And he looks at all the smelly guys following him. Especially those fishermen. He's probably never smelled that bad in his life. And Jesus says one more thing. And Luke does this really well. He says he looked... At the, at, the, at, the, at the rich ruler. He looked at him. And he basically says, I know it'll be hard. I know it'll be hard. In fact, because you're wealthy, 
you are going to have a lot harder time than anybody else. Because I'm going to be honest with you. For most rich people, it's too hard. For most rich people, it's too hard. Scholars have debated what that whole uh, camel through the eye of a needle thing is supposed to be, whether it's an actual needle with a little hole or if there was some kind of gate in Jerusalem that was small that camels had. It doesn't matter. The point is, Jesus is saying it's hard. We don't have to know all about that to know what he's saying that. But Jesus is very clear. If you're rich, then this is going to be hard. For me, for you, you and I are going to have to consistently find ways of making sure that our money, our financial security, our plans for our own happiness do not keep us from following Jesus. It was a common notion in the ancient world, especially first century Judaism, that wealth was a sign of God's favor. In fact, it goes way back beyond the first century. But Jesus calls it a danger. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever been scared of a $20 bill in your wallet? Jesus says he might, should be. I usually feel kind of comforted when I have a $20 bill in my wallet. Jesus said, you better look out. That is the biggest obstacle to following me. The crowd around Jesus in this story would have gasped at this point. Absolutely would have been shocked. Because this powerful religious guy, he's probably some kind of local hero. The idea was that if anybody's getting into the kingdom, it's the pious, rich people. Because they're the ones God has blessed with success and wealth. They bear God's stamp of approval. Because they've achieved economic success. So if anybody's getting into this kingdom, if anybody has access to eternal life, it's going to be the rich people who are successful in all they do because that's God's favor. That's just, it was a one-to-one correlation. Those who succeed are the ones favored by God. And so in their mind, they said, if this guy can't be saved, then who can? He's like top of the pile. If the top of the pile is the only people who are getting saved and he's not getting saved then the whole pile's toast. Who can be saved? But Jesus does not close the door on him. Just because he's rich doesn't mean he's automatically out. It just means it's going to be hard. And we'll talk more about how hard tomorrow night. He said, but Jesus says, as hard as, it, as, as hard as it is for this man, God can still pull it off. You still have a shot because God can help you. You are rich, you are powerful, and you're young. So you've got all kinds of time in front of you, probably. We are rich. We are powerful. And so we are in danger of not following Jesus. I'm serious about this. Jesus is serious about this. We have got to plead with God. God, would you help money not to get in the way? Of me following you. Would you help the security that everybody else around me is going to scramble for after I graduate? Would you help that not hold me back from doing anything you want me to do? From following you wherever you want me to go? Even if it means I live in poverty my whole life. And when I say poverty, I mean poverty. I don't mean you qualify for, well, in, in Washington, it's basic health. You have to make a certain amount of money. If you make less than that, you get this you know, state insurance. You can live all kinds of nice on that stuff.
Now this is interesting. Luke, of all the people who include this story in their gospel, Luke does not tell us what the ruler decides. Luke does not tell us what happens to this rich man. After Luke says he gets very sad because he had great wealth, he does not address him anymore. What's this ruler doing? What's he thinking? Luke doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us how this story for this particular man ends. And I have a hunch. Some, some commentaries agree, but some don't. I think it's because Luke wants to leave the possibility open for the rest of the rich audience. A lot of Luke's readers were, would have been pious, Gentile, rich people. So a lot of the people in Luke's original audience would have seen themselves in this painting. A lot of us can see ourselves in this painting. So Luke leaves it open-ended. But he does end the story. He does end the story. Peter, man, Peter, he's always a spokesman for the other guys. He always says what the other guys are thinking, which sometimes gets him in a lot of trouble. Sometimes he's great. Sometimes he's awful. But he's a talker and he just dives in. I really appreciate that about him because it gives people like me hope. Talk first and think people later can be saved. <laughs> Talk first and think later. That's me. But Peter puts the dots together and basically says, Jesus, what about us? We have left everything to follow you. We've given it all up. And Luke ends his story with the best part of the whole episode. The whole episode climaxes in this moment. Jesus says this. He says it to them. He says it to us. He says, I promise it's worth it. I promise you it is worth it. Jesus gives us his word that he will not jack us up if we leave everything to follow him. Jesus gives you his word that you will not regret it. It will cost. It will cost. And it will be painful and difficult and challenging. And again, we'll talk more about that tomorrow night. But how many saints who are singing in heaven right now, who are drinking deeply of this eternal life that we all long for, how many of them do you think regret their decision to follow Jesus? It's not like the matrix. It's not like where you get rescued from the lie and have to live in a really crappy reality where you eat like, you know, the, the bowl of snot that has all your essential daily vitamins. It's not like that. It's not like that where the best thing you can think of that with the guy who ends up betraying them all, he's like, I just want to be ignorant again and jump back into the matrix. That's where real life is. That's what, the, the, you know, that... The, that movie breaks down there for sure. A lot of people like to use it as, oh, it's the gospel story. Yeah, it's got some allusions and there's some allegorical uses to it. But there it breaks down. Coming to the truth is not going backwards. It's stepping into what life is all about. Talk to missionaries who have been on the field for decades and ask them, do you regret letting Jesus tell you what to do? Talk to people who have served in your church for a long, long time. Ask them, do you regret letting Jesus tell you what to do? 
Ask your staff members. When you were leaving college, when you were getting ready to graduate, and you made a decision, okay, Jesus, I'll do whatever you want me to do after this. Ask them if they regret that decision to say, you do what you want with my life. It is 100% worth it. Jesus guarantees you won't regret it. Now, it requires trust, doesn't it? Jesus is often asking us to step into what we don't know. The rich, young, the rich ruler, who does happen to be young in other gospel stories, but the rich ruler knows his comfortable robes. He knows his rings. He knows his authority. He's, he's comfortable with where he's at. Yes, something's missing. Yes, there's something itching behind his, the back of his mind that he can't figure out. There's still something wrong. But he knows that. It's familiar with that. Jesus asks this guy to step into a ridiculous reality for him. I mean, think about that. Going from that to a homeless wanderer behind Jesus. This is not a small deal. But you have to trust that Jesus loves you. The Mark story of this episode splits up Jesus' two instructions. And in the middle it puts, Jesus looked at him and loved him. It's out of love for this man that Jesus asks him to give all that stuff up. It's out of love for you because he knows you. He knows what you need. He knows the best access to eternal life, the kind of life that you long for, the kind of life that every single person on your campus needs. He knows how to get there. You've got to trust that he knows what he's talking about. He is smart he is, he is he, and He loves you and He knows you really well. Hanging on to it will not satisfy you. Playing, playing it safe, staying comfortable, sticking to your own plans, none of that will get you what you really want. Jim Elliott was a famous missionary. I don't know if you've heard his story, but he was martyred in the jungles of Ecuador. He said it so well. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That is worth posting somewhere where you can see it on a regular basis. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let Jesus be the one to walk in front of you and tell you where to go and let go of the life you want to hang on to because you think it will make you safe and happy. You may get comfortable, but you will not be fulfilled. You may even have moments of happiness where you say, ah, I'm happy right now, but you will miss joy. Joy has a lot more in common with peace than it does with happiness. Joy is a settled sense that all is right with this world. That I am in the right place, at the right time, under the right circumstances, and the God who loves me is ordering my days, along with His ordering of the rest of the universe. That's joy. That's a deep, settled... You can have joy at a funeral. You talk to saints 
who lose deep loved ones. They are deeply grieving. They are not anything close to happy. But they have this settled sense. Everything's going to be okay. It's awful right now, but everything's going to be okay. That's the kind of life that Jesus invites you into. And if you try to hang on to what you think will make you happy, it will not come. You will be disappointed, disappointed, disappointed. There will always be something itching at the back of your mind. You'll be chasing everything. I'm missing something. I want this eternal life. Here's the deal. This applies to you whether you consider yourself a Christian or not. I hope that nobody's thinking, well, I'm already a Christian, so this, this doesn't count for me. I'm already in. This invitation to come follow me is a morning by morning invitation. Jesus stands every morning at the foot of our beds. We wake up and he says, come follow me. Let go of what you, ever, what you might want to hang on to today. Come follow me. That's why Luke says that Jesus says stuff all the time. Take up, like, like take up your cross daily. It's in there all over the place. If you're not a Christian, if you wouldn't count yourself there yet, you have got to hear this. Jesus is inviting you into the life you've always wanted. And there is little room there, if any, for the life you have. You can't be kind of into this Jesus thing. It is all or nothing. There's no middle ground here. Learn from the rich man. Being religious does not necessarily mean you are following Jesus. Because he was. The rich man was, and he wasn't following Jesus. Hear what Jesus says. If you do give up what you hold most dear, he promises it's worth it, both in this life and in the life to come. Ask anybody. Ask anybody who's followed Jesus faithfully. They'll never, they'll, they, they never wish that they hadn't said yes. So from this point, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do the rest. There are probably as many application points for this sermon as there are people in this room. Particular things that you know Jesus is pressing on your heart right now. You know what I'm asking you to give up. You know what this is going to take. You know what I'm asking of you. You know what I'm saying to you through this text. But I do want to point out one group who might be here tonight. Some of you need to decide tonight that you want to follow Jesus. Some of you in 20 years need to look back on tonight and say that was the moment where I stopped being half and half, wishy-washy, ah, not really sure about my faith, where I said, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, I am in. And I will explore this until I find out that it's full of holes and bail. Guess what? You won't find out it's full of holes. Don't stop exploring. Don't stop asking questions. You'll never stop doing that. I hope you never stop asking questions. hope you never stop trying to figure this out. Welcome to the rest of our lives. But for some of you tonight, and you know who you are. You know exactly who you are. You're thinking, you're thinking that's talking to me, he's talking to me. 
Tonight needs to be the night where you say, okay, Jesus, I want you to forgive me. I accept you cleaning up my life, and you, you can have it. You take charge. You call the shots. If there's a control tower in my head, I want you at the sticks. I want to make sure you hear that invitation. Jesus says to you, leave everything else and come follow me. Come follow me. So I'm going to put up some reflection questions on the, on the screen. And you pray. And you ask Jesus how he wants you to answer those questions. Spirit, I pray that you would stir in our hearts as we respond to this story. A story about us, really. But I pray that for the whole spectrum of people who are here, people who have decided to follow you, people who haven't yet decided to follow you, Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak heavily, that, they, that everyone here would be cut to the heart by your powerful word. Speak to us now, spirit, as we process.